think uh, everyone who was involved in this was not taking an absolutist position that there could be no uh, surveillance whatsoever and that the government has no business inching information. I think the concerns were uh, mostly in the Israeli context with the question of whether we want to bring in the ISA, whether this is really a, a sensible approach to bring in a spying agency that has developed capacity in counterterrorism and, and deploy it to actually uh, survey the Israeli uh, population. This is a very bad precedent, I mean, for a democratic society. And I think it's not accidental that you don't see other democracies going down that path. Bonus episode 309 of the Cyber Law Podcast brought to you by Steptoe and Johnson. This is a bonus episode because it is essentially the uh, the gist of an interview sponsored by Academic Exchange uh, that we did uh, on Tuesday of this week uh, with Yuval Shaney. Yuval Shaney is the Hirsch Lauterpacht Chair in International Law and former Dean of the Faculty of the Law at Hebrew University in Jerusalem. Uh, uh, he does a lot of human rights work. Uh, in fact, I think he's chairing the UN Human Rights Committee right now. Uh, and uh, uh, Academic Exchange is a group that uh, encourages a whole host of policy discussions between Americans and Israelis. Uh, and and uh, uh, we thought that it would be useful to have a discussion about the Israeli high-tech and high-surveillance approach to uh, dealing with the coronavirus. So uh, what you'll hear is a brief introduction um, from two people who've been instrumental in uh, the success of academic exchange, Nakam Braverman uh, and uh, Matthew Waxman. And then uh, they'll turn it over to me to interview Yuval. Uh, so without further ado, let's begin. Uh, well, welcome everybody. Uh, on behalf of Academic Exchange, uh, I'm delighted to uh, convene this discussion of public health and civil liberties. Um, I know, I think most of you who are on, I'm Matthew Waxman, professor at Columbia Law School, where I chair the National Security Law Program, and also an, uh, an executive committee member of Academic Exchange. Uh, and today we want to start the discussion um, with uh, some information and, and perhaps uh, a debate about Israel's response uh, to the coronavirus pandemic, uh, inspired by some uh, recent reporting of emergency measures uh, that have been taken there, including some uh, 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 interesting and, and sometimes controversial uh, ways in which digital technology and data have been uh, harnessed. Uh, we also, though, uh, hope to turn this into a broader discussion about how democracies uh, confront public health emergencies. Uh, so with that, uh, Stuart, why don't I turn it over to you uh, to engage in some discussion with, uh, with Yuval uh, to kick us off. All right. Thanks, Matt. Uh, Yuval, uh, it's a pleasure to see you again. Uh, uh, the, uh, the topic of this is um, uh, civil liberties and health surveillance, uh, and uh, uh, Israel took an unusual approach to that using uh, uh, some of its uh, uh, remarkable counterterrorism surveillance capabilities, uh, and all of that got caught up in 
what appeared to be a day-to-day -day series of government crises. Uh, and I wondered if you could just give us a little bit of background of the Israeli politics and how they played into the effort to use some of the new technologies and uh, surveillance capabilities uh, that uh, Shin Bet possesses. Okay, thank you, Stuart. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Nahum, for inviting me. I'm pleased to see a lot of familiar names uh, on the attendees list. So it's um, so I'm looking forward to this. Um, yeah, so this is, uh, I mean, we've been uh, referring to this, um, at least as uh, initially, as a sort of a perfect storm. I mean, <clears throat> you have this uh, major, major health crisis, uh, and this is really happening in the midst of, uh, of the most serious political crisis that we have ever seen, that also uh, deteriorated into a constitutional crisis. Uh, so, so I'll say maybe a few words on the political context, and then we can discuss the security, uh, the security turned public health measures that were introduced in the midst of all of this. Uh, so, as, 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 as you probably know, all of you, Israel, um, the last time Israel had a functioning government that had the uh, parliamentary, con uh, that had the, the majority in, in parliament, this was December 2018, uh, when the Netanyahu, the previous Netanyahu government collapsed. And since then, we've been through three election cycles, uh, and we still do not have a government that does enjoy a political majority in parliament. So we have, uh, what we do have is an interim government which simply continues to, to function until we have a new government. So already we have a, a situation where the executive doesn't uh, have a democratic legitimacy in the traditional sense of the word. A lot of the ministers were actually were never confirmed by, by parliament because again, the government has been rolling from one election to the other without uh, ju just because, because it's there. Um, now, uh, in the midst of this, uh, you have an emergency situation which leads the government to uh, employ uh, emergency powers, which is uh, Israel has been in a state of emergency from 1948 according to that state of emergency, it has the capacity to uh, invoke emergency powers. We do have a constitutional discussion whether you can use the pre-existing emergency situation also to deal with new emergencies that were not really connected, but practice has been in Israel, and this is, I think, controversial, but practice has been, yes, the government has seen it as part of its uh, authority to invoke emergency powers, even if it's not related really to the to the uh, general security situation. So you do have the government from mid-March um, invoking emergency powers and starting to issue emergency regulations, which is essentially ruling by decree, uh, authorizing the government, again, a non-democratically elected government, to basically overrule existing statutes, introduce new criminal provisions into the law, uh, change existing laws. So this was already a very uh, difficult and serious situation. Add to that the, the notion that under our constitutional law, emergency regulation has to be subject to review by parliament and by the judiciary. And in the middle of, uh, in the middle of March, we, we were in a very strange situation where the, the previous parliament has expired, a new parliament was introduced, and the chair, the outgoing chair, was actually blocking uh, the political process in the new parliament to form the committees that uh, would exercise oversight over the government. So you do have a situation where you have these dictatorial powers essentially employed by the government without the parliament, by the, by the government without parliament serving as a check on this. Add to that the fact that since because of the corona scare, 
both the parliament chair, outgoing parliament chair, but also the minister of justice have issued all sort of public health decrees limiting the ability to convene in parliament and also limiting the ability of courts to function because of the coronavirus. So uh, in a way we were confronting a very dangerous situation where you do have these extreme powers. The judiciary is operating in part-time in, in part capacity. Parliament is not operating at all. So, so people were very concerned. And we actually had these uh, demonstrations about, uh, you know, uh, death of democracy, etc. I, I should say that uh, things have stabilized since. So now that we are two weeks later, uh, things have stabilized both on the corona front uh, to some extent, but also uh, for, for, for our purposes, uh, on the democratic front, we do have the chair has been uh, replaced. We do have now functioning committees. Uh, the courts have resumed operating. They uh, conduct some of their business online. So it seems that at least uh, that stage has been uh, uh, over. And now actually the government is in the process of renouncing the emergency regulations and submitting instead to parliament uh, uh, temporary legislation on an expedited timeline in order to substitute emergency legislation with proper legislation. So we seem, it seems that uh, we are a little bit out of this, uh, of, the, of the situation that we were. And also politically, as you know, there are talks now about, a, there are serious talks about a new broad government which will enjoy the confidence of, of parliament. Uh, so I think uh, at least on that front, things are stabilizing a little bit. So the, nonetheless, um the government felt the need to act on the virus and to adopt some kind of tracking mechanism that drew on counterterrorism technologies. And those got caught up at least temporarily in the concern about uh, whether this was going to be completely free of uh, Knesset oversight. Is that right? Right. So on, on March uh, 16, the government issued two sets of uh, regulations, emergency regulations, uh, in connection with surveillance and the coronavirus. Uh, one is, um, is a regulation that authorizes the police to collect uh, metadata um, inclu uh, from uh, cellular companies, from uh, telecommunication companies, uh, including uh, including uh, placing uh, uh, geopositioning information uh, in order to enforce uh, quarantine regulations. So the uh, so we do have also. I mean, uh, we do have um, the Minister of Health has has the uh, has the authority under a 1940 <laughs> piece of legislation uh, from the British Mandate times. Uh, it has the authority to issue quarantine orders for people who are. Um, risking public health in, in a situation of an infectious disease. Uh, and they did, ex I mean, there are now, uh, I mean, tens of thousands of Israelis uh, who were subject to these decrees, myself included, uh, for uh, anyone coming back from overseas, anyone who has been in contact with, uh, with a patient, uh, and also uh, a number of um, neighborhoods in which the infection rates were, were high. So orders have been issued and the police was granted the power to use the data in order to enforce this quarantine. Uh, the police under Israel does have under, uh, it does, there is legislation authorizing police access to metadata, but normally this has to be, uh, um, uh, this has, this can only be um, uh, done through uh, after a judicial review. So you need to get a judicial warrant. So what the emergency regulation did was actually leave the need for a judicial warrant. The police simply can go and collect this information. 
So this is one, uh, one uh, regulation that was introduced. Uh, the second regulation that was introduced, and that is the more controversial one, uh, and that was a, a regulation that authorized the Israel Security Agency, the, the Shabbat, the Shin Beth, to assist the uh, Ministry of Health in running epidemiological uh, investigations so as to track down people who may have been uh, in close contact with, um, with coronavirus patients. And the way this is done, they, will, they receive under these regulations, uh, they receive from the Ministry of Health the personal contacts of uh, diagnosed patients. Originally, it, was also, uh, it also covered people who were suspected of being diagnosed patients. And then they run, uh, a, uh, they run a check going back in time 14 days, and they basically track the movements of these uh, patients uh, in space uh, in the last 14 days, but they also track the movement of anyone who has been in proximity to, to them. And when they identify a match, when they identify um, close proximity, and they define close proximity as being within the uh, less than two meters, uh, more than 15 minutes from a person, uh, then they basically provide back the information about persons in close proximity to the Ministry of Health. And the Ministry of Health then issues quarantine orders for, for those persons. So this is uh, the decree that was issued. As, as explained before, it was controversial both in terms of what it means for privacy, and we will discuss this further, but also in terms of using the ISA, a counterterrorism agency with exceptional access to, 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 meta, to data, to meta data uh, for this use. And also that everything that was done was done essentially without parliamentary supervision. Uh, I should say that initially the regulation was for 14 days and um, it was challenged three days after it was issued uh, before the court, the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court allowed it to continue for five days and indicated that if parliamentary supervision is not introduced within five days, then the regulation will be uh, suspended. Uh, and indeed, within five days, I don't know if this is the reason, but within five days, a parliamentary uh, committee was established and we now, it is now operating under parliamentary supervision. The regulation is going to expire early next week, but the Knesset is now being uh, faced with uh, expedited legislation, which will continue the same process for 30 more days, this time not as emergency regulation, but through uh, an interim amendment to the ISA law that would give the ISA this authority to use its spying powers in the context of this public health emergency. Does that mean we are at the end of judicial review of this, that the court has, has had its say and it uh, demanded oversight, but is not going to revisit other issues related to the use of these technologies uh, in this context? No, no, this was just a preliminary hearing in which uh, an injunction was sought. So actually, there was an injunction that was issued with regard to the police uh, regulation. So the police regulation was suspended uh, until there is par uh, suspended until parliamentary supervision is introduced. So it was immediately suspended. The ISA regulation was not suspended immediately, but there was only a window of five days to operate it. But the case is still ongoing. But um, in both cases, uh, the government has moved to replace the emergency regulation with uh, temporary legislation. I imagine that there will have to be a new petition now once these uh, new pieces of legislation are approved and, uh, and the case will have to resume on the basis of these new 
um, pieces of legislation which are slightly different than the original regulations and also involve different constitutional issues in terms of the authority to pass them. Okay, so let's let's talk about the two different uses of technology here. Uh, one is tracking uh, uh, people who've been infected to see who they might have infected, and then the other is enforcement of the quarantine. Of the two, I think uh, uh, what um, Israel's doing with its intelligence capabilities is uh, in tracking is probably the more groundbreaking, the more unusual, uh, if you look around the world. Uh, uh, so the background is, of course, that uh, tracking people who've been infected to find out who they've been in contact with, to test all of those people, uh, to quarantine anybody who is positive, uh, and to continue tracking everybody they've come into contact with while they've been uh, uh, wandering around in the hopes that at the end of that process, you have quarantined everybody who has been infected. Uh, um, and the countries that have adopted that, uh, even the democratic countries, have done much better than either uh, Europe or the United States in controlling their outbreaks, South Korea, um, uh, Singapore, and the like. Uh, um, so it's a valuable thing. Uh, one of the questions then is, uh, what's the problem with using whatever capabilities the government has to identify contacts between people who've been infected and people who, uh, uh, as far as we know, haven't been infected yet, but might have been through the contact? Well, I mean, it's a, there is a general question here about, you know, balancing, you know, and how do you balance, even in times of emergency, how do you balance private, privacy interests with, uh, with uh, in this regard, public health interests. So, so there's clearly a balance to be drawn. And I think uh, everyone who was involved in this was not taking an absolutist position that there could be no uh, surveillance whatsoever and that the government has no business inching information. I think the concerns were uh, mostly in the Israeli context with the question of whether we want to bring in the ISA whether this is really a sensible approach to bring in a spying agency that has developed capacity in counterterrorism and, and deploy it to actually uh, survey the Israeli uh, population. This is a very bad precedent, I mean, for a democratic society. And I think it's not accidental that you don't see other democracies going down that path. Uh, now, you add to that, so, so there is a question of, uh, of what the ISA so I, does. I the ISA there? I, if I could just interrupt you, I don't think there are any other democracies who could do what, uh, technologically what uh, uh, Shinbet is doing here. Uh, the ability to actually identify any two people who got together um, is not something I think that the, uh, the U.S. government could do or most other people who don't have the same terrorism experience that Israel has. Uh, so I, I, I don't want to overstate the fact that uh, Israel's uh, an outlier here because it's an outlier because it has the ability to do this. Yeah, and I think there was also, I mean, so this is one, a, one, one battle. And of course, uh, so I mean, part of the, I mean, some of the ideas, I mean, people like myself in the Israel Democracy Institute were, were putting on the table is actually loan uh, ISA uh, officials with ISA capacity to the Ministry of Health, but have it as a civil operation 
and not as a security agency operation. I mean, the ISA has actually a record of uh, of keeping data. There, are, we don't have. I mean, we don't have Snowdens uh, and data leaks, but we do have. But it's not. It's a non-transparent agency, which uh, is not subject to regular judicial review. Uh, and I think, of course, there was also a concern about uh, parliamentary supervision and the quality of supervision. And, and I think there was a demand that if we go down that route, we have considerably uh, the level of, uh, of control that is exercised. Uh, we do have a statement by the Attorney General that he will be briefed every three days about the uh, deployment of these, uh, of these uh, uh, tools, but it's a little bit the, the cat guarding the cream because it was, the Attorney General was very instrumental in actually developing this uh, strategy. A, a second set of questions was again about alternatives. This, uh, I mean, this happened in parallel to the development of, a, of an app by the Ministry of Health in Israel, which pretty much mirrors some of the apps used in, in, in the Far East. I mean the um, the Singapore app and the and the uh, uh, South Korea app. So so people are now encouraged to download an app that uh, does uh, have a, a personal tracing history. So people have on their phones now. A lot of people, thousands and thousands of people, have downloaded this app in Israel. It's called the Protector app. I mean it it basically um, keeps track of your movement in space. And then the Ministry of Health download anonymous paths of, uh, of uh, patients. So uh, whenever you have a match, then you basically, the app lets you know that you have been uh, basically uh, contact had been made and then you have to go into quarantine. So the question was, if you have a voluntary app that is doing much of the work, why do you need uh, you know, to use such a strong hammer, uh, which does have, again, serious precedental and privacy related uh, issues and and uh, and finally, I think there is also a sense that as the country is moving more and more towards a total lockdown, the necessity of tracing movement movement in space becomes less and less compelling uh, because people are not moving around so much. So, so you do have now this capacity that is um, that is in a way helping investigations, helping epidemi epidemiological investigations, but it's not making a huge difference. I mean, the Ministry of Health yesterday in, in Knesset testified that uh, it does give them 60% more uh, information. So this is still significant. Uh, yes. But the numbers, I mean, we, we do not have, I mean, we, of course, this, this is, we have to take it at face value or we can challenge this. But, but there, there is a question whether this is the least harmful measure that was available to the government and whether the institutional configuration is sensible. I should say that at least it's a temporary measure. This is a, the fact that it is being deployed initially for 14 days and now for 30 more days at least conveys a, a sense by everyone involved that this is something that you, you take for a very limited amount of time. In terms of why would you use Shinbet instead of some other uh, tool, one obvious answer is Shinbet's already doing this. Uh, they could start today or they could start when, uh, when, they, when they were needed. Uh, training the health department, uh, the health ministry to do this was going to take weeks is my guess. Well, it's true. The ISA does have the capacity to do it. They are uh, collecting a lot of information, but of course, they're, they're accessing this information only for very uh, specific uh, designated investigative purposes. The ISA opposed that. By the way, the ISA opposed being utilized for this. They didn't want to do it. 
I mean, they I can, I can, I can understand why. I, I'm sure that their capabilities have now been exposed in ways and the limitations of those capabilities have been exposed in ways that they're deeply uncomfortable with. Yeah, I mean, and they also, I mean, they feel that this is a controversial mission. They don't want to be in this, uh, in this awkward position of spying on Israeli citizens. Uh, they also realize that this could uh, backfire against them. Uh, I think our proposal was not was basically to uh, have this employed by ISA officials, but not in their ISA capacity. But but I guess this was simply uh, since this is all I mean uh, something that is done on the fly. Uh, according to the media, they were actually shocked. The ISA were shocked that the prime minister actually suggested this without consulting them. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so this was done in a in a typical Israeli messy way. So, so I guess uh, they had to make do with what they have. Uh, still, I, I do think it's a, it's a, it's a dangerous precedent. So I, I would not highly recommend uh, going forward using this sort of capacities. And, and look, I mean, the numbers are bad in Israel, but they're not, uh, I mean, numbers hugely mean. Uh, so there's also a question of uh, when is the, you know, when is the emergency uh, a real, a real emergency, or, or when is it only a looming emergency? I mean, of course, you can always say to yourself that had I not done this, we would have been in a much uh, more uh, difficult position. But this is in civil liberties. This is always a claim that the government can say in order to justify restrictions on uh, privacy or liberty or what have you. Yes, well, but I think the, the history of this disease and maybe most uh, uh, pandemics is when you know you have a problem and everybody agrees you have a problem, it is too late to fix it. Uh, many of these measures have to be introduced before there is consensus that dramatic actions required. Uh, to say, oh, well, maybe we were too, too quick about it, uh, I think is to say maybe we shouldn't have done it at all because I don't think that uh, uh, introducing it after you've got uh, massive penetration by the disease makes it easy to do the kind of tracking that you need to do to end the, uh, uh, the pandemic. But let me ask a, a, another question uh, about the alternative. On the other hand, yeah, on the other hand, let me just say that, I mean, we were extremely, again, the, the background I provided in the beginning of the, our talk, I mean, it is critical to understand why people were very concerned here about this, because you have a government, an unelected government, employing essentially dictatorial powers, shutting down the courts, partially, shutting down the legislature, calling on the Secret Service to start spying on Israelis. This, you know, this for us seemed like, a, you know, a horror movie in terms of uh, so, so, so <laughs> yes. when you add all these elements, no democratic controls, okay, uh, a, a significant democratic deficit, a, a strong sense of emergency, and now to bring in this uh, non-conventional weapon into the field, this, uh, this, is a, this was seen as a very serious development. I think now, two weeks later, uh, when we do have, in a way, democracy has been restored, in the sense that we now have functioning institution, I think the concern is somewhat uh, is, is somewhat lessened. Right, and that makes all the sense in the world. I, I'm I'm puzzled by the notion that the app would be a substitute for this, uh, because uh, if the app really is voluntary, you decide whether you want to download it or not. Uh, there's going to be a 
bunch of people for whatever reason who decide not to download it. And often those are exactly the people who you want to know where they were because it may turn out that they were infected. Uh, uh, I don't see how the app is a substitute for tracking people unless it is mandatory to install on your phone. Well, the app is, of course, voluntary, partly because you do have this uh, fallback, which is which is which is non-voluntary. Uh, again, it's a cost it's a cost uh, benefit uh, analysis. I mean, some people say, you know, what's going to happen now? People are not going to use their phones. I mean, they're going to leave the house without taking their phones because it's all based on cellular well, information. Israelis are going to leave the house without taking their phone. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, when I'm when I'm when I'm, now, when I'm leaving my house, you know, even because we now have a hundred meters restriction, we cannot leave the house for more than a hundred meters. I'm basically uh, putting it on flight on flight mode, and I'm uh, and I'm disconnecting the Bluetooth. I mean, I don't. I mean, uh, people are taking precautions. So in terms of um, the cost benefit analysis, I mean, it cuts both ways. Okay, so I'm uh, so it's true that the voluntary app doesn't have universal coverage. But uh, remember, this, this is not for enforcement of the quarantine, okay? The quarantine is enforced separately. The ISA is only in it for the epidemiological investigation. And here you have other pieces. I mean, you basically, what they relied before was on questioning the, you know, the, the patients and tracking back with them wherever they were. Uh, and, on the, and basically announcing on public media, and you, do it, you have it only also in, on the voluntary app, you basically retrace their steps. And uh, I mean, my daughter had to go into quarantine because she was on the same train on which a person who has been diagnosed was. So everyone on the train had to go into quarantine. Uh, so you, you're talking about a measure that does make it, a, yes, a more effective investigation. But again, and, and the measure itself is not foolproof too. I mean, this is also something that needs to be acknowledged. I mean, the technology is good, but it's not infallible. We have a lot of stories uh, in Israeli media in the last week about uh, uh, all sorts of mishaps, like the Ministry of Health, uh, uh, you know, uh, mistyping the, the idea for the person who was a patient. And then you had a whole different bunch of people sent into quarantine without actually being next to a patient. And there is also a question of how accurate this. I mean, you have people who testify that they were actually, uh, they were in proximity to people who were patients, but they were standing across the street in order not to be close to them and still the, uh, they were basically sent into quarantine. So in terms of the precision of this, this is a very uh, heavy hammer whose precision is yet to be uh, for this sort of uh, interaction, which we're talking about the two meters, 15 minutes. I mean, it's still not clear how precise it, it actually is. So we may I would, be I would, generating yeah. a lot, a lot of false positives here. Is that the is that the app that is having that problem, or is it that? No, no, the, no, no. That's the ISA. That's the oh, ISA. The, the IS, I'm sure that the ISA has those sorts of problems. I'm I'm astonished that they can get to the point of saying you were you were across the street from uh, somebody. Uh, it, it, <laughs> that that's that's a, a the the kind of tracking capability that you need there is something that doesn't come from just getting whatever the uh, phone company ha happens to have on the shelf. That's a very carefully developed capability. That's why I think the, um, I, I actually like the idea of downloading an app uh, because the app can be designed to only use Bluetooth, to only right. say when, when you come into contact with someone, you'll, you'll, have, you'll be using a low power Bluetooth and we all know that uh, 
uh, if we leave our uh, phone in one room and we walk into the other room with our Bluetooth uh, uh, earbuds in, pretty quickly we lose connection. So it is inherently very close and you can probably shape it to be closer. Um, so that's clearly better, but it, it, it's, it's useless if uh, even a quarter of the people uh, don't download it because that means you, you're running a dramatic risk of not knowing that you were in touch with somebody who has this. And I'm, I'm quite puzzled that the Israeli government isn't requiring people to download this. Hmm. Well, again, they don't need to download because they have already authorized the ISA to access all the information. So why do you well, need if to? Well, if, if the people who, who, who believe in civil liberties should be saying, I want a mandatory download and get the, uh, uh, the intelligence authorities out of the game. So people believing in privacy are pushing uh, strongly for the, for the expansion of the, of the app as, as a substitute for, for this uh, spying capacity. Of course, I mean, when you, you do the cost-benefit analysis, there's also a question of uh, what's going to happen to this information, okay? I mean, it's, uh, so the ISA has, actually, has a good record of uh, maintaining secrecy. The Ministry of Health has no, as you said before, has no experience whatsoever in dealing with this sort of data. I mean, they do have uh, I mean, hospitals know how to keep patients' data, but the Ministry of Health has very limited experience in handling metadata, and time will tell whether they, uh, where, where, whether they are going to do a proper job in this. So we're also taking a lot of risk in that regard in terms of letting information uh, on the loose. Uh, but, but how sensitive is this? We're talking about people's 14-day uh, travel uh, 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 patterns in the middle of a lockdown. Uh, uh, that strikes me as, you know, oh, yeah, okay, there's the, the, I would be more bemused and troubled if my travel uh, history were, were published. Uh, uh, and uh, I'm not sure there's enormous sensitivity to that uh, except where it could be weaponized by individualized review. And, you know, if this doesn't work, uh, you know, you're going to have your location permanently designated along with your name and date of birth and death uh, on a little uh, 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 gravestone. Uh, that, that, too, is location-specific uh, information. Uh, and I'd much rather not have that kind of disclosure. Uh, this strikes me as at best, a kind of uh, secondary worry. Well, people, uh, I mean, to treat uh, their movements in space as, uh, I mean, for some people, this is a very important piece of their privacy, uh, you know, uh, privacy well-being. I mean, the fact that you have been in a certain apartment in a certain day at a certain week uh, with a certain person, I mean, <laughs> you can imagine where this could lead in certain circumstances. So uh, there is, uh, again, we're not talking about here about, about an absolute uh, about an absolute right. It's all about balancing. But I'm just saying that the entire package has a lot of uh, disadvantages, and I think there has to be a very strong case to uh, justify the the utility of going down that path. So, so again, a voluntary app a voluntary app takes away many of these concerns because you basically have agreed to subject yourself to this, you know, transparency. And of course, the app, I mean, the app that we have here is an app that doesn't even generate a database. So basically, the database is on your own phone. So it's not, yeah. it's not shared with anyone. So that's, of course, uh, is a much superior uh, privacy framework than what we now have from the, from the government side, which basically now the Ministry of Health has for all the people in contact. They know uh, when they were in contact, where they have been, 
and of course all their personal details. And this is information which, uh, in terms of privacy, does create a serious problem. Uh, so maybe uh, bet better privacy be infringed than the right to life, but still, I mean, if you can do it in ways which are less offensive to privacy, you should always choose these ways. So is there, is there a likelihood that minority neighborhoods, uh, uh, Arab neighborhoods, are going to be dramatically less likely to download the app than the, uh, uh, Jewish neighborhoods? Well, uh, the two populations which we are seeing uh, being uh, um, uh, on the fringes of the national effort are the Arab population, where it's not clear what's exactly happening in the Arab, uh, in the Arab population. We have very low numbers of people infected, which probably means that there, is a, there are very high numbers of people infected and not diagnosed. So there, there could be actually uh, a growing concern. We have huge numbers with the ultra-Orthodox. So it does appear that the ultra-Orthodox population is really the growth engine of coronavirus in Israel. And that has to do partly because they, uh, they are not so technological savvy, they don't have smartphones, they, uh, they don't listen so much to the public media, and also they don't believe so much in science and technology, they believe in other stuff. So, uh, so, uh, so for, for, for that population, I don't see a lot of customers for the app. Yeah, but the intelligence capability doesn't do much good there either, at least I, as to the ultra-Orthodox, if you're not carrying No, no, if they, have, if they have a, I mean, they do have cellulars. They have what they call kosher cellulars, okay? So these are cellulars that do have, uh, they allow you to text and to phone, but uh, they, and maybe some of them allow you to do some uh, limited web surfing. But uh, they don't, these are not uh, full-fledged smartphones, but for tracking, they're, they're sufficiently track traceable. So let me ask about quarantine enforcement. Uh, that's the other part of, uh, of the, uh, the technology uh, uh, tools that uh, a lot of countries are deploying. Uh, um, in that regard, as, as you said, it sounds as though Israel is not exactly breaking new ground. Uh, uh, if you're subject to a quarantine order, there is some effort to use metadata to determine whether you violated it. Um, right. And that's pretty much it. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the, the quarantine enforcement, it's, uh, it's relatively light in the sense that you do, have, um, you do have the police authority to use metadata, but the police is prohibited from using it on a systematic basis. So they can only do random checks according to the power they have received without judicial orders. So they cannot just do, I mean, if they have specific information about a person, they have to get a court order. So they need actually, they do random checks and they do checks on the streets, but and there is a, I mean, uh, an informer line. I mean, you can inform of, on your neighbors. This is a, <laughs> I don't know <laughs> what to think about it. But you can provide information to the Ministry, ministry of Health you have on the website if, if you know that someone is breaking the quarantine. So, so in that regard, I agree, it's not breaking new grounds. Still, you wonder why uh, there are, I mean, I, I am concerned about providing the police with this sort of authority without having a proper safeguard in place. I mean, they, even if you don't go to court, you still can find you know, a retired judge or someone who could actually uh, go through these uh, requests for metadata. I think basically giving it to the police without supervision is not a great idea. But I agree with you that it's much less dramatic than the ISA authority. 
Well, why don't we end it there? Uh, I appreciate your uh, listening, and I really want to thank Yuval Shaney, who did a great job uh, uh, in uh, giving us a capsule summary of developments in Israel, uh, and uh, Matt Waxman uh, and Nachum Braverman for their contributions uh, uh, as well uh, in setting this up. Uh, this has been episode 309 of the Cyber Law Podcast, brought to you by Steptoe and Johnson. Uh, please join us again. Uh, in a couple of days uh, as we once again provide insights into the latest events in technology, security, privacy, and government.